You can make progress or you can make excuses, but you can't do both. Hebrews 13, 5 from the Amplified. Let your character, in other words, your moral essence, your inner nature, be free from the love of money. Or shun greed. Be financially ethical. Being content with what you have. For he has said, I will never, under any circumstance, desert you, nor give you up or leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. You ready to go home? I think the game's only a little bit into the game. That's all we need, right? It's almost all we need. A while back, my, uh, a little while back, my watch uh, battery quit. I messed around for a couple of weeks and didn't get it fixed. And uh, most of you know I'm a boomer, so I wear a watch, I heard. I didn't know that was a deal for boomers. And other people don't. But then I thought, I know a lot of millennials who have like 20 watches. I only have this one, okay? But supposedly that's a sign of being a boomer is you wear a watch. Okay. I came to this conclusion. It's deep and, like I said, just maybe the only thing you walk out here with today. Time marches on whether or not I know what time it is. Time marches on whether I know what time it is or not. What time is it? Don't you wish you could look down at your watch and go, well, that's where I am in life. Don't you wish you could look down and go, that's what condition of my soul is. Most of us living in North America, we're under the tyranny of time. We never seem to have enough of it. With technology, especially having it in our hands, it's really blown that up even more than we ever could have imagined 10 years ago. That somehow or another we don't have enough time. And even if I know what time it is, I can't control it. I can't stop it. I can't go back in time. I am irrelevant when it comes to time. If I die, time continues. Time stands still for no one. You know, even, a l- look at Gabriella, well, she's not here now, but she was. And Josh and Victoria, that moment when you see her the first time, that almost like, you just can't believe it. You can't measure it, you can't stop it, it's gone. 
Even your most euphoric, most awesome moments, you can't stop them. That's the reason why I believe addiction Addiction is such a big deal. Addiction because you keep trying to recapture something. So if I go back, if I take this drug or I do this or pornography, whatever it may be, whatever that addiction is, it's somehow or another trying to go back and grab a time where you felt this particular way. You're trying to reach back and bring it to here, but it flees. You're searching for something that will never stop for you. Of course, the terrible part about that is that not only the destruction you do to yourself, but, and if that was the case where you only did it in a vacuum where you destroyed yourself, maybe okay, not okay, but okay, but that's not the case, is it? You, you make ripples. Now, some of you make gigantic ripples. A few years ago, in 2010, I was in a time warp. November, December 2010, Allie was in London, ready for her to get home. She was in her rebellious state. <laughs> Admitted from her part. Somebody say preach it. Is that what? No, no, no. And I wanted her to get home. She was in London. She'd been there for three or four months. I was wanting her to hurry and get home. Sydney and Andy, or Sydney was pregnant with, now we know it's Cameron. <laughs> I couldn't wait to see that little grandbaby. I couldn't wait, except my dad was dying of cancer. And he was in his last weeks. So it's kind of crazy to wish time away. I wish I had hurry and give. I wish Cameron had hurried me. But if I do that, then my dad's gone. Let me give you a little bit of advice. Quit wishing time away. Quit wishing in the middle of June that it was September. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I figured it up. I've been here 21 years. If I wished away four months every year for 21 years, I wished away seven years of my life just living in Arizona. Isn't that crazy? Quit wishing things away. But then you reach a point, right? Something happens. That a, 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 and this here today, I usually use this as illustration for God changing us, and, and it is that. But a moment in time comes where we're being stretched. Something's happening. It's, it, it could be just about anything. For some of you in here right now, you graduated college. Now what? You got married. Now what? <laughs> you have a baby. Now what? It didn't, it didn't come with instructions. <laughs> You're divorced. Now what? You're not married. <laughs> now what? You're retired and you work so hard for it. Now what? You got health news that wasn't so good. Now what? You got a big old bonus. Now what? 
you made a major mistake. And it's time to take responsibility for it. But you're still asking yourself, now what? Deflect it. Excuse it. You know God has called you to a specific type of ministry. Now what? Now what? I think there's a couple of different significant types of now what's. One is the now what where head goes down, shoulder slumped. Now what? Whether you caused it or someone else caused it. Now what? And then there's the go, now what? Let's see that picture from last week from Colton and I. You got that anywhere handy? I don't know if we do or not. Were you able to get that? Was that a yes or a no? I'm number one. I'm number one. Okay. Technology doesn't always work. We texted you just a few minutes ago. Come on, check your phone. No, just kidding. That's, my, that's our bad. That is on me. I am picking at him right now. That is on me. But if y'all were here last week, you remember the, co- the picture of me and Colton on the X coming off of that. It was that. Now what? Your face is like you're going crazy, but you're so excited. You don't have the answers, but you're just so excited. Disciples, in about a 50-day period, had a lot of now what's. Jesus got crucified. I didn't see that coming. I told you. I know, but I didn't see it coming. (laughs) Now we're somewhere in the city Now what? On the third day, the resurrection, now what? Okay, it is what we thought. He's going to take over. The, he's going to blow Romans away. He's going to take over. He is going to rock and roll. We're with him. We're his, we're his crew. But in Acts chapter 1, what does he do? 40 days later. He ascends. Well, actually, Scripture says they're doing this. That's what it says. It says they're going, where did he go? Where is he? He just left us. That's actually what it says. I don't, not, maybe not doing this. But, but actually, what happened if you read it? But that's kind of one of those... But about 10 days later... The fire falls. Now what? You, everybody else is in trouble. <laughs> Peter's first sermon, right? You killed him. But he made a way for you. Repent and be baptized. Man, those early guys, man, repent was a big deal. They wanted a decision about God. They didn't give you any little wiggle room. That's everybody feel good and leave out. There was none of this seeker sensitive sermons in first church. It was, you killed him. Matter of fact, we all put him there. All of our sin. Now what? And I have a feeling from that point on with the fire falling on them and walking in boldness. They walked a little straighter. 
a little more head up. And I think it's Acts 4.20 where Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin and they're telling them, don't you even think about going out and talking about this Jesus anymore. And he said, well, should we listen to you? Or the creator of the universe. And he goes on to say, we can't help. We are compelled. We can't help but tell about what we have seen and what we have heard. I think that's a little bit of straight back, head up, not arrogant. I love when they were sent out of the room. One of the leaders there said, hey, guys, we don't want to find out we're fighting against God. I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> now what? I've had a few now what's along the way. I don't know if you have or not. A few little now what's along the way. Kids being born into the home. Fortunately, the first now what on that was I need to get my life in order. Now what? Sydney's born into the family, into our home. Now what? I didn't know at that moment I was going to give my life to Jesus five months later and change everything. A lot of now what's after that. 2006, our previous pastor who I loved and had moved to Ohio, 2006, 2000, at the end of 2005, no, excuse me, beginning of 2005, I think it's we were there 20 months, 21 months without a pastor. But about three quarters of the way through that, even though I'd never put my name on any list to take it off, I was asked to remove my name from a list that didn't exist, apparently. For whatever reason, partly because they just said historically, pastors who are in the same church, don't do well when they're raised up inside of the church. Plus, I don't think I had a doctorate or a, a uh, master's. No, actually, I don't have one of those. I don't know why there, but I, I, don't, know, I don't have those. <laughs> you know it, too. <laughs> so when I wrote that letter to our church saying I was removing my name, all of a sudden there was a big old honking, now what? Little did I know that about five years later, an opportunity had come concerning a Biltmore Church of the Nazarene. Actually, in December 2011, it was brought to me by our denomination saying, would you consider pastoring it? And I said, not the way they've done it before. I said, if they're willing to shut it down and start all over again, sure. And he goes, yeah, 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 I don't think they're going to do that. <laughs> and so for two months, I didn't hear anything, and then we heard something from them said, hey, can you come on February 13, 2012? And uh, I did everything in that meeting, those who are in here, to try to have them never call me again. Because <laughs> basically what I did was, and I know this sounds arrogant, like I told the first group this morning, this is what you get for getting the, the, the little brother out of a family as your pastor. I'm smart-alecky, <laughs> okay? But I hope I'm led by the spirit. I hope it's a spirit-led smart-alecky. <laughs> but I didn't know but I basically told them what does it mean to do a hard restart and basically I told that group of six who are awesome people I said it means pushing your Biltmore the name of the church of Biltmore Church and pushing your Biltmore keys into the middle of the table taking your hands off that's what it means I said but I'm not here to talk you into that 
But if somewhere along the way, what God is doing in our lives and what God wants to do in your life intersect. I walked out of there going, I told Jan on the way home, I said, we'll never hear from them again. <laughs> That's literally what I told her, she'll tell you. And thank you to those who are in here who are part of that meeting. That by the time we got home, we got a phone call to meet again. Four days later, I had the darkest day of my life up to that point. Spiritual battle. And if you don't believe in that, I, 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 yeah, I, this is how I tell you. You're in it whether you believe in it or not. It's kind of like time. <laughs> it's kind of like time. You, you, you don't have to believe in it in order for it to happen. It's like truth. Truth doesn't become true the day you discover it. It was always true or it never was truth. Not because you got caught up on it. <laughs> it was always true. Spiritual warfare has always, I believe, always been true, whether you believe in it or not. And through it, and I'm not going to get into the details of it, but it was my darkest day, February 17, 2012. And, and never went to sleep from the morning before till the next evening, till for, to the 16th, to the evening of the 17th. But God, I was warring, I believed, for whatever reason, I was making a huge mistake. Nobody, I, I, told, I told Jan, I said, in my time, the enemy has whispered to me that I'm the Ron Paul of pastors. <laughs> I got a lot of good things to say, but nobody ever listened to me. Okay? <laughs> that's actually what I, in the middle of the night, that's what I heard. That's a, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Not ran. But. Went up to my holy ground, many of you know, is Usury Park Pass, Usury Pass Park out in Mesa. Went to the mountain. Took my devotional. Many of you have had the renovation of the heart and daily practice. Opened it up, first chapter. First time I'd ever opened it up, never had read into it. But I got notes all over it. But God did a work in me that day. And he told me, quit making excuses. Quit making excuses. Quit making excuses. You can either make progress. He didn't say it to me, and I hadn't heard it at the time. You can either make progress, or you can make excuses, but you can't do both. Now what? Now what? Met with the board a few more times. They ended up voting 6-0 to send it to our denomination. The denomination, the district advisory board, voted 10-0. We came back here on May 6th. Uh, 2012, in this room, 51 people voted, 51-0 to close it down and start all over again. Now, there's some consistency there. They voted. They gave it. They said, we want to do this. And, and, I, and okay, I walked out of here, and I found out what their vote was, and I thought, now what? <laughs> Took four days. Prayed about it. Drank a lot. No, I just I didn't kidding about that. <laughs> I just kidding about that. I don't drink. I hadn't drank in 30 years. Okay, just kidding. I'm just saying, it was stressful. I went in. I knew God had what God had told me. I with my all my heart. You say, how did you know? I, I don't know. I just I just believed in my heart that God had said yes. So I go to my lead pastor Dave Sharp's office on May 10th at about 2:30. I think it was. I walk into his office. And I tell him I'm resigning. I go out in my truck, and it was the most euphoric feeling I'd ever had in my life. It was like, 
like a piano had been lifted off of me for all kinds of reasons. I mean, it was just this euphoric. I, it lasted like seven minutes and it was gone out. And then, and then the question came, now what? <laughs> I've had a lot of now what's. A lot of now what's. A couple of things that I have learned a long time ago on my now what's. Because some of them are dark now what's. And what I mean there, if you're not careful, you can go into almost a permanent head down, shoulder slumped if you're not careful. But one of them is what we read this morning in Hebrews. The assurance he will never leave me or he will never forsake me. Through the fire, we read earlier, we sang earlier, through the fire, he is purifying me. The other one is I learned a long time is Romans 12, 1 and 2. See, in view of God's mercies, brother, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. That is your reasonable act of worship. No longer conforming to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then you'll be able to test and approve God, what God's will is. It's good, pleasing, and perfect will. The term test means you'll be able to know what it is. He'll let you know. And, and approve literally means to embrace it. Think about that. But here's the problem is then. You gotta back it up, you gotta back the truck up a little bit and read what it said before that. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. That is your reasonable act of worship. No longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed. Morpho from a caterpillar to a butterfly in the way you think. Anybody need some thinking changed? Well, there's only one place that can really do it, but here's what I want to tell you. One thing I learned a long time ago, no matter what I was going through in my now what, God is more concerned of who I'm going to be than what I'm going to do. Please hear me. I don't know what you're going through. But he is more concerned about who you're becoming than what you're going to do later. Surrender. Some of you in here need to begin to eliminate the options to turn back. As I said last week, you're too busy straddling. You're too busy straddling. You're too busy straddling. Decisiveness, like Samson, we see at the end of Samson's life. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Samson, decisiveness came power. The reason why many of you have a power leak is because you're too indecisive about where you want to go with God. And you wonder why you can't walk in the power. Some of you in here, you're letting someone from your past steal from you today. You're rehearsing something in your mind that's continuing to steal from the present. You're rehearsing it over and over. It's a narrative you're telling yourself, the story. But see, Jesus has got a new story for you. 
He's got a new story. He's got a new narrative. That did happen. Whatever that may have been, it may have happened. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Let's don't bury our head in the sand. But let me tell you something. You've got freedom as an option. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit working through you by the power. Jesus said to those guys, he said in Acts chapter 1, he's, well, actually it said it in John, he said, I've got to leave for the one to come that will empower you. And it's not something of timidity, but of power and love and self-control. You've got to stop making excuses. You can't Make progress and excuses. You can't do both. So now what? I love this quote from Seth Godin. It's a pretty easy way to let yourself off the hook. Or someone else. Hey, you did your best. Or the way we're able to somehow summon more energy and more insight when there's a lot on the line. Or the tremendous amount of care and love we can bring to a fellow human who needs it. By defining our best as the thing we did when we were merely put a lot of effort into a task. I fear we're letting ourselves off the hook. In fact, it might not require a lot of effort, but a ridiculous amount of effort, an unreasonable amount of preparation, a silly amount of focus. And even then, there might be a little bit left to give. It's entirely possible that it's not worth the commitment or the risk or the fear to go, at, to go that far along in creating something that's actually our best. But when we make that compromise, we should own it. Let me say it again. When you make that compromise, own it. Just say, that's who I'm going to be. I don't want that. I want this middling somewhere in the road straddle offense. That's what I want. I'm not going to tell you I gave my best because I didn't. If you want to walk with God, you are going to be put in the fire. He's going to purify you. He's going to refine you. But admit it. I don't want it. Let me finish the quote. But when we make that compromise, we should own it. It's not worth doing my best. It's actually more honest and powerful than failing while being sort of focused. When you're in the middle of the fire, if you're in the middle of the storm, let's use that. You better be what you better be sure what you were anchored to before the storm is strong enough to withstand the storm. We just saw in Dorian, most things get blown away in the greatest of storms if you don't anchor deep. What are you anchored in? Did you tie off to the wrong thing? There's no doubt for some of you, if you're not in the storm, you're going to get in the storm. And there's just no time to develop a personal philosophy on pain and suffering. You better already know where your anchor is. So I believe the now what's I'm talking about here are major transition times. There are times where you know in that moment you will never, ever, ever be the same again. 
Friends of mine, Dick and Jan Ketter, I've known for 22 years since I've been here. Jan and I were on staff together at Crossroads, and she was like a second mom, still is, I guess, in many ways, in the way she invested in me, and many of you know Ryan Womack, and some of you know Andy Frank. Uh, she was precious to us. And Dick, just as precious, in a different way. And over time, through circumstances and passing of loved ones, of their spouses, they met and they married, and man, they're just such a special couple. A prayer, just give your name to them, they'll be praying for you. <laughs> special family. But about three weeks ago, three to four weeks ago, they have a cabin up on Camp Pine Rock, up in Prescott. Those of you who know where that is. I think it's about 1.30 in the morning. Don't hold me to all of these, but I think I'm pretty close. Dick heard something crackling in the house. Went and the house was on fire. I don't know all the details. I won't try to get into that, but in the midst of all the trying to get Jan out, trying to wake her and not, or not waking and her trying to get her out of there. They got separated. And that's their house on fire there. Dick ended up outside. Jan was inside. If I'm quoting this correctly, and Jan, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but one of Jan's prayers was, God, just don't let it hurt. If you're taking me, just don't let it hurt. But she didn't stop. Dick didn't stop trying to find her. She's in the house by herself. Every spot's getting closed out, and they finally find a window. And I don't know, understand all of it, but how she got out of that window at 82 years old and got up in 81. Excuse me, I've got to be careful with women's ages. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> she came out of that. Dick was able to pull her away, and the house just basically exploded. It went down. In the middle of all that, a lot of things they've had to go through, treatments, things of that nature over the last many weeks. But one of the things they found as they went through the house and everything that they, when they finally could, one of the things they found was Jan's personal Bible. I don't dare take it out of here because I feel like it's the Holy Grail, so I'm trying to... <laughs> but you see the edges all burn on it. The water heating it, sticking it together to some degree. And when they opened it up, highlighted right in front of them was Hebrews 13.5 in the Amplified Version. Let your character, your moral essence, your inner nature be free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never desert you or any degree to leave you helpless. If you knew Jan's story, for sure, he has never left her that way. Jan and Dick are back there. Won't you wave to us, guys? <laughs> As I was preparing for this week, I 
A lot of things going through my mind trying to get to this point. Simply based on a lot of things, moving parts going on at our church right now. But the one thing that's come back to me and I, is that song that we just sang. That his goodness, his goodness has never failed me. In the middle of the, the fire, if you will, of the refining, but also on the mountaintops. He is so good. To remember in the now whites that he will never leave you or forsake you. To remember in the now whites that what he's doing in you is more important than what he wants to do with you. The Church of the Nazarene, we've kept these altars. One of the reasons we've kept these altars is because I believe it's a place sometimes for people to come and make a commitment. In the Old Testament, they named them. <laughs> in the New Testament, or in our age, we come and meet with Jesus here. But I want to, as we close this first Sunday of its time... I'm going to ask Josiah and him to come on down to ask this question. What is it for you right now that it's time? There are times where you don't have a time to try to figure out what the best plan is. It's just on you. But how you've prepared yourself up to that moment has so much to say about what you will do in that time. Some of you may be having or in the middle of a now what? And in the middle of that now what, there has been this something stirring going, it's time for me to make this change. It's time for me to let go of that and pick that up. It's just time. The disciples know what, how the slump straight back. They know Jesus in the garden. He knows. The question is for us, is it time for you? To make a major transition. Significant transition. Because you sense God telling you to put it down or pick it up. Won't you stand with us as we close today? These altars have been used throughout our history. As a place to come and make significant Statements. I just want to encourage you as we sing today. And even for some of you who hadn't been down to an altar in a long time, maybe it is time to make that public step. But either way, thank you for being here today.
We're going to do a lot of now what's over the next few weeks. And I just pray that you'll lean into them what God wants to do. Let me pray for us, Lord. We thank you for right now. We thank you for this time. We thank you for these moments. We thank you for a chance to sing, but a chance to change most of all. That we'll leave a room different than when we walked in. It could be from a significant now what? Or just wanting to prepare for the next one. Lord, help us to be everything you called us to be. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You come if you feel led this morning to pray.